Hello and welcome to the Innovation Insight podcast brought to you by the Walton Institute. In this podcast, Karina Pierce hosts a panel discussion with Kevin Doolan from Walton Institute, Patrick Barrett from the Department of Food and Marine, and Ethan Cleary from IFA. The panel will cover some questions that the webinar attendees had around agri-digitalization in Ireland and the opportunities that exist for farmers. Um, so I'm going to ask the uh, three panelists, uh, so Kevin, Ethan, and Patrick, just to come back so that we can we can see you. And um, you know, we have about 15 minutes or so for um, a conversation and to maybe tease out some of the issues that we have spoken about or you have spoken about through your presentations. And again, for anybody listening, to send in whatever questions you have, and I'll do my best uh, to get to all of those. Um, Kevin, you were just because you, you finished last, I'll, I'll pick on you first. Um, in terms of the role that, uh, you know, an organisation like TSSG can play in terms of taking the pain out, because sometimes, you know, there's, as Patrick has said too, there's a lot of opportunity, European funding, um, a lot of activity in this space, but smaller companies in particular can often feel, you know, you know a little bit frightened, I suppose, by European funding bureaucracy, paperwork, and so on. Can you give us some sort of practicalities of what's involved in terms of the ask from smaller companies, we'll say in particular, that might want to get involved in some of these projects? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Um, I'm in the middle of a project proposal at the moment um, with 57 different partners going in in about two weeks' time. and It can be quite stressful. Um, <coughs> and, and typically in TSG, we don't recommend... Uh, SMEs and, and let's say smaller scale industries to to join a project like that as a coordinator because the coordination task is is quite a mammoth undertaking uh, for any organisation. So what we try and do is we 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 select the target areas we're going after under the work programs for Horizon 2020, and then we go out and try and find companies in the region and across Europe that may be interested in joining us in one of those proposals. And, you know, once a company joins as a partner, their level of involvement could be as simple as, you know, okay, you fill in your administrative details, your phone number and all that kind of stuff on the European Commission portal. But then maybe writing a page of a profile of yourself as a company and why you would want to be in that EU project. So, for example, the Demeter project proposal, at the end of the day, the whole proposal was about, I think, 750 pages long. But for an Irish entity wanting to participate, their input to that would have been a page. Okay. So that's why we, in terms of scale of, of work, that's why we take the pain out of it. Uh, and that's important for companies to know because, you know, with anything on, on the EU side, it is a bit of a lottery at the end of the day. So TSSG and, and a lot of other RPOs in Ireland have a strong track record of, of, of coordinating these proposals. And we just make it easier for organizations to participate. So that's, that's in terms of the larger scale projects. <clears throat> but then in terms of things like cascade funding, which I know uh, Hazel is going to talk about, um, like we have a number of projects like Smart Agri-Hubs, Food, and Demeter, for example, uh, which have reserved a certain amount of budgets to be given out to organizations uh, as a cascade fund. So essentially there's mini projects. So we can help companies, if they're interested in leveraging some of that funding and taking some of the technologies out of these projects. They can come and talk to us and we can explain to them what the project is actually looking for, what are the requirements and how to fill in the forms. We can never guarantee the funding, but we can certainly point people in the right direction. 
Very good. Okay. A question has come in from James Staines and asking, so I suppose any of the panel that, that would like to answer this, mm -hmm. any views on how farmers as a group can benefit from their ag data? And is there merit in them forming a farmer's co-op to aggregate data and perhaps then licensing it out? So looking at the value of data that's been generated on farms. Who'd like to take that easy question first? Yes, yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll come in here. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting consideration that, that James puts forward. And I think what we have to find the balance here is between this generation of data and um, how farmers can uh, find a business model that allows them to take up technology and maybe also take into account that, you know, the lifespan of the technology, should every farmer own a piece of technology own a technology or license it out or be able to just have it in in a type of a model where they just use it as a service and the uh, the owners of the of the technologies maybe take back that technology update it provide it back to the farmer so you know your kind of your data could be some sort of trade versus the ability to use technology but uh, to be able to have it regularly updated and that this isn't a cost to you so some sort of outlook on um where uh, we try to limit what what costs may be on the farmer, and I think, you know, I think we need to consider why why we want to aggregate the data and why it could be useful to someone else. It could be useful for in terms of uh, veterinary uh, medical companies. They might want to know how you're using their product on the farm and how this may. Uh, uh, change your use practices maybe in terms of fertilizers maybe in terms of feed you know where there could be some sort of uh, movement of data that helps you uh, benefit your practice and your income and also has a bigger outlook on maybe what you we may need to achieve on in ag climatize so i think not so much a rush to kind of try to um uh, aggregate the data and license it but more how it can be traded maybe is, is an idea that there's another side to that as well though you can come at it from another angle as well uh patrick that the more data that's shared from farms uh, the more intelligent the systems that support the farmers are going to become so if more and more uh farmers and organizations feed their data into these systems the systems can learn from what's going on across one farm to another and another and start providing more like decision support and things like that to farmers based on best kind of practice so there's actually there's not a financial benefit of it with that aspect, but there's certainly a, a you know an advisory type of, uh, benefit. I would say. Very good. Okay, um, Ethan. Um, just in terms of your report, you talked about access to support and training being critical. Where do you see the role of maybe ag education fitting into that? So you know, young farmers through ag college universities, wherever they're getting, you know, educated into what you would have talked about in your report, uh, an integrated approach to education. Maybe you might just give us some some comments on, on how you feel that that should work. Yeah, so one of the findings we got was, you know, farmers were open to the, the concept of a dedicated ag tech um, kind of provider or extension service, okay? But how can this be bundled into all stems or all steps of the education ladder because you know like we have to look at you know how do we 
qualify stuff like recognition of prior learning, prior experience? How can this all be brought together in a way that, you know, it, it actually helps build up the motivation to get involved uh, and to actually try and learn more and see how this technology works? So when we're talking about integrated, we're really talking about that no matter whether, you know, how digitally capable you are, um, your digital experience, that you know where to go, that there's some place that you can go to to start. And then there's a pathway the whole way through for you to actually kind of learn how to assess these technologies, not even understanding, um, you know, what they are and, you know, how they can be applied, but to be able to assess which technologies are the most appropriate for your localized situation uh, and then for your, your farm operation maybe as a whole as well. So it's just trying to make it easier for, you know, farmers and our members to understand, you know, where do I go for what and what's the pathway through for me then? Okay, yeah, very good. Um, there's some questions or queries coming in on um, actual examples, we'll say, you know, maybe particularly for Kevin or, or Patrick, where there have been success stories with SMEs that have been involved in Horizon 2020 projects. Um, you know, fair enough, some of these areas are quite new, but you know, it helps sometimes in terms of encouraging companies to get involved where they say, okay, there's a company I know that they invested time and resource in it and they have seen benefits. Do you have any examples we'll say where you would say that there was benefits to an Irish company through their involvement? Do you want to take that, Patrick? No, I'll let you start, Kevin, because right, yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm not going to name individual companies um, because, of, you know, some of their work and, and involvement in, in projects. Okay. But I mean, first of all, engaging in Horizon 2020 projects, just from, purely from a financial point of view, it, it gives companies the ability to go down a research path that it may not be on their critical path, but they have funding, they can hire in people and researchers to actually develop their products in, in certain directions and to engage with, with the best in Europe to try those out in different kinds of scenarios. Um, I know within Demeter, for example, <clears throat> we're still at the early stages of the, the work. But we have, for example, farmers in our the people that own vineyards um, deploying new types of sensor technologies for pest management around vineyards and around out of growing, uh, out of fields. I'm <laughs> probably the wrong term as well. Um, and you know, they can once they prove their technology uh, within an, an EU project like this, they can take the further step then to to commercialise it. And there's also, like, again, within Demeter, you know, anyone that's involved there that, that develops a technology, we'd be putting that technology in front of, like, hundreds of farmers for them to actually try out. And they, it, there's a huge benefit to that as well in terms of, of ver validating that the, the technology is doing what, what organizations want. Okay, Patrick, any, any comments on that? Yeah, so, like, I, I think if, if we just look at the timelines, so agri-digitalization from the EU and national side has really been picking up since about 2016. And there were companies that have come through the system, Mucol, et cetera, you know, and we know the success of Herdwatch and, and sort of ICBF activities, you know, where there has been successful application of, of digitalization of, of information and it's been presented to, to the farmers in, in, in clear and transparent and usable ways. But what we're going to probably see now over time is say, through the Vista Milk Project, the SFI Research Centre, where, you know, there was a big state investment and also a significant private sector investment of digitalization products coming through. Um, and then 
we're also going to see through this cascade funding in Horizon 2020 that Kevin and his colleagues are involved in a lot more activity. So without naming names, what we're probably on is the cusp of real development and real uh, emergence of companies. Um, but of course, there's going to be, uh, it's not going to be an easy path, I think. There's going to be companies competing in the same spaces and there's going to be also probably uh, companies sort of in collateral damage and they just can't quite succeed through that entrepreneurial path to find a space and niche in the market that allows them to, uh, to, uh, to develop further. So what I would say is I think we need to watch this space. Okay, and, and just in relation to that, Patrick, you mentioned in your presentation, you know, when I asked you about where, how Ireland performs internationally, and you said in terms of investment, research, funding, and so on, that we're right up there, but maybe more needs to be done in terms of entrepreneurship or the actual realization of some of that knowledge into, we we'll say, tangible products or services and so on. Um, how do we you know, as a country, what, what needs to be done to foster that or to, to help that along? You know, what are the next steps, if you like, that need to take place or, you know, where is the investment needed to help that process? Yeah, so uh, thanks, Queen. Uh, I think that's a very useful question for us at the moment. And I think, like, I mean, you guys in Enterprise Ireland are the experts on this, but entrepreneurship is a, is a, mul is a multi-factor matter. And so obviously we need the innovators and we need the um, the entrepreneurship and the investment uh, from the Irish system to to bring along these uh, you know high potential startups. We need access to finance that you know they can move through their different rounds of funding and uh, you know not probably give away too much of their of their IP and, and that the, the country the company can survive. Um, we need them to link into the likes of. Uh, the Vista Milk projects or, or the, the Smart Agri Hub activities or the Demeter projects to be able to leverage the expertise and to not work in a vacuum. We need to create a sort of an innovation ecosystem where companies and researchers and farmers on the ground are sparking off each other and the tacit knowledge of what the farm what the farmer knows on the ground for his own farm needs to be applied with the technology provider and the researcher and this needs to melt together to really scale and develop and the, the access to finance funds and the entrepreneurship funding that comes from Enterprise Ireland will be fundamental in this as well. Sorry, Karina, can I come in? Yes, please. No, I'll just say that the, there's a, a program down at NUI Galway, the Ag Innovation Program, which is which is brilliant because it's it's applying the disciplined entrepreneurship model from Bill Owlett in MIT. And it's focused exactly on this situation around how to develop the entrepreneurial skills and align it really closely with the actual farmer need. So before you do anything, you actually understand what the challenges are that farmers are facing. And then and only then do you start conceptualizing a solution. So I, I think that approach is what that type of approach is definitely what's required as opposed to building a technology or taking a technology and looking for a solution within agriculture. You actually teach the empathy that's needed at the start to understand what the job to be done is. So it's, it's an excellent program. and I think it's, it's a great step forward. Very good. Kevin, any comment on that? Um, sorry, I was just typing an answer to someone else's question there. Um, yeah. <coughs> In terms of fostering entrepreneurship, how do we do that? 
Yeah, I mean, just, there's multiple things we can do. Um, and I know Hazel and the team at TSD are doing, doing great work through PACE in terms of outreach to, to organizations to tell them what's going on in, in the research space. But I think we're still missing, um, <coughs> Ireland is still missing the trick a little bit in terms of just trying to bring in more Irish entities into, let's say, EU funding programs and so on. Um, and there isn't really one place where you can go to find out who in Ireland is targeting what, let's say, EU proposals. And I think it could be something, and I know Patrick and the guys in EI are, are, are doing their utmost to kind of push the message out across Ireland as well. But I think more interaction between uh, the RPOs um, that are coordinating proposals, uh, for example, the development advisors within Enterprise Ireland, would be very important because we can have, again, we can have those companies join our project proposals and, and, and leverage the funding that comes out. So I think that some sort of a, a even a national form of kind of who's doing what uh, in terms of writing proposals to try and secure ag tech funding would be very important. And then through that, we can bring along, you know, new companies, startups, and so on as well. As long as you have a company registered on the commission portal, you can participate in an EU project. Okay, very good. Um, a final sort of a broader question because we're right up on, on 11 and I want to pass over to Seamus O'Mahony, our president of ASA, and also to introduce, um, or he, 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 Seamus might introduce our next chair, Dr. Ashling O'Neill from Arc Labs in, in Waterford. But the EU Farm to Fork strategy was released this week and uh, or last week. And, you know, many of the tools are the technologies. So, Ethan, you talked about ag tech being broader than just digitalization. You know, there's a lot in that report about maybe reducing or removing some of the tools or technologies in the toolbox, if you like, um, that, that we currently have available to us. And yet there is an increased focus on ag tech in the sense of digitalization and so on that we've been talking about this morning. Is there a sort of a contradiction in that or, you know, how do they work together? How does this all fit together, if you like, in, in you know, that, that new uh, European strategy? Well, you know, we have to be very careful because, you know, the US and China are forging ahead. You know, they have access to these kind of advanced technologies. And if we are operating on a global scale, which is what we are, we have to try and harness any type, you know, the broad church of ag tech again, what's available to us to make sure that we can still compete. You know, we produce the highest quality, you know, output. Um, you know, we produce the highest yielding uh, crops across Europe in a lot of situations. So how can we maintain that productivity, um, you know, given the certain conditions that have been put forward in the farm's fork, you know? And I suppose this is kind of goes back to why we started looking at digitalization because it was the one area that didn't seem to be causing controversy. So, you know, how do we focus on this type of technology in order to help us optimize how we produce food? And I think we have to keep focusing on that. And, you know, hopefully stuff that kind of happens around, um, you know, the genetic side of things that, that we, you know, within that farm to fork, there is a capacity there. There's trials going on and like that hasn't been shut off to us, you know. But yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's going to be very difficult. You know, we have to try and increase our productivity. And if we're kind of playing one hand tied behind our backs, it's going to make it even worse. So, again, we're focusing on what we kind of have control of, which is around the digital area. OK, very good. Any Kevin or Patrick, do you want to come in on that comment or happy yeah, enough to leave? No, like I, I think um, I think Europe is trying to develop its own, its own identity 
in terms of food production systems and wider bioeconomy and how it manages for natural capital and how it is trying to pr pr produce a food system for the future. And by developing technologies and industries and farmers and the, the consumer and the citizen within this system, that we will be selling how to do this to the world. And by being the first mover to be able to work this out. And if you think of it, Ireland is one of, you know, there's not so many countries around the world that are developed countries and that have, that agriculture is such an, uh, a large part of its economy. And we, I suppose, have a, uh, an opportunity to really develop the industry to become a leader of not only uh, food and bio-based products all around the world, but also the services to deliver that. And that's a massive opportunity, if you think about it, because at, in some form and in some shape, the US and China and the Asian economies will have to try and uh, figure out how sustainability and productivity go hand in hand. And if we do it first, and, and Ireland ha is a, a super ecosystem to be able to do this, because end to end, you can get to from a farmer to uh, the head of the government in probably the least amount of steps of some of the most developed countries in the world. That is, that, and that, that's, a, that's to be looked at as in a positive way. Very good. Okay. Unfortunately, even though we've other questions and queries and comments that have come in, we're going to have to leave it at that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovation Insight podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other podcast streaming services. For more information on the Walton Institute, check out our website at www.waltoninstitute.ie and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. Bye for now.